Welcome to another episode of Pocket Size Pathophys, brought to you by theparamedictute.com. My name is Sam, and in this episode, I will be talking to you about seizures. a sudden, uncontrolled episode of electrochemical activity or neuronal firing in the brain. The areas of the brain involved will determine how the seizure presents. Epilepsy is a disorder where there is a tendency or predisposition to experience seizures. So someone experiencing a seizure does not necessarily mean they will be diagnosed with epilepsy. The classification of seizures can be quite complex. But to put it really simply, a seizure is either considered generalized, where it involves the entire brain, or focal, where it involves just a small section of the brain. And then it can be further categorized based on the presentation. So a generalized seizure, one that occurs throughout the whole brain, and as you would expect because it's occurring throughout the whole brain, the person will lose consciousness. And it then can be further described based on the physical presentation. So the classic seizure we like to think about pre-hospitally is a tonic-clonic seizure. So this is a two-phase presentation. So there is a tonic phase where muscle stiffens, followed by the clonic phase where there's this rhythmic jerking. You can also have tonic seizures where it's just stiffening of the muscles or just clonic seizures where there's this rhythmic jerking. You can also have atonic where there is no tone at all so they go floppy, or an absence or non-motor seizure, where it's hard to detect any physical motor symptoms. Now, a focal seizure, sometimes called a partial seizure, involves a particular section of the brain and may or may not result in a loss of consciousness. There are a lot of potential causes for seizures. Epilepsy is quite an obvious one. Hypoglycemia, so low blood sugar. Hypoxia, so low oxygen. Both of these are essential to maintain normal cellular function. So if you have an absence of sufficient glucose or sufficient oxygen, the cells are unable to regulate themselves as they normally would. Electrolyte imbalance, in particular low sodium or low calcium. Certain drugs or toxins. Withdrawal from certain drugs or alcohol. Stroke infection, so thinking things like meningitis or encephalitis. And eclampsia. So let's talk about the pathophysiology of seizures. To do this, I think we should quickly mention normal neuronal functioning. So our normal neuronal function is controlled by a balance of neurotransmitters, a balance of both inhibition and excitation. The two neurotransmitters you should know are GABA and glutamate. GABA is our main inhibitory neurotransmitter as it reduces the likelihood of an action potential being generated. It does this by making the inside of the neuron more negative by allowing the influx of negative ions. Ions with a negative charge move into the cell, making the membrane potential more negative. So it's further from that threshold potential. The threshold potential is like a switch. Once that potential is reached, numerous channels will open and will get a rapid and sudden change in the membrane potential to allow an action potential to be generated. So GABA reduces this likelihood 
by allowing negative ions to move inside the cell. Glutamate does the opposite. Glutamate increases the likelihood of an action potential being generated by allowing the influx of positive ions, so ions with a positive charge, move into the cell, making the membrane potential less negative, so it's closer to that threshold. A seizure occurs when this process becomes dysregulated, resulting in overall excessive excitation of neurons. This can be due to a reduction in the normal inhibition, or it can be excessive excitation, or it can be a combination of both. But overall, you have neurons firing when they otherwise should not. It's very important to be aware of status epilepticus. So this is a medical emergency and requires immediate treatment. If a seizure lasts longer than five minutes, or if there are multiple seizures without a return to normal conscious state in between, that is status epilepticus. The vast majority of seizures will self-terminate in less than five minutes, but if they don't, it requires immediate intervention. Status epilepticus can result in some very serious complications. These complications can be spoken about in two broad categories. So centrally, within the brain itself, if you're having sustained excessive neuronal excitation, like during a seizure, those neurons require a huge amount of ATP. If the seizure activity continues, and thus this increased demand for ATP, it will exceed the ability of the neurons to supply ATP. So if the demand of ATP is greater than the ability to supply ATP, results in something we call metabolic failure. If there's not sufficient ATP available, there will be failure of all the other normal cellular functionings. In particular, we talk about the sodium-potassium pump. If this fails, there will be an unregulated buildup of sodium inside the cell. And because of osmosis, water follows sodium, so then water will move inside the cell, causing swelling and eventually cellular death. This cellular death further worsens the situation for surrounding cells by releasing the contents from within that cell. In particular, its stores of glutamate and other positive ions, which will further contribute to the excitation of surrounding neurons, which further increases their ATP demand and makes them more likely to also go into metabolic failure. Additionally, damage and death to cells that form the blood-brain barrier means fluid from the blood can leak into brain tissue, causing cerebral inflammation and edema, so brain swelling. As we know, the skull is an enclosed space, so swelling inside the skull increases our ICP, or intracranial pressure. This can compress small blood vessels, reducing blood supply to other neurons, further causing ischemia and cell death. So an ongoing seizure can lead to serious neurological deficit. Outside of the brain, ongoing seizure activity can cause dysfunction of our respiratory muscles, which can lead to hypoxia. This excessive muscular contraction can also lead to hypothermia due to all the heat that's being produced. Ongoing excessive contraction of muscles can also cause muscular breakdown or rhabdomyolysis. This releases creatine and myoglobin into the blood, which can lead to an acute kidney injury. When talking about seizures, I think we should also mention febrile seizures. Febrile seizures are seizures experienced in the setting of an acute fever in the absence of some other cause for a seizure. 
Febrile seizures are quite common, occurring in about 4% of children under the age of 5, and most commonly they occur at 12 to 18 months old. The exact mechanism of febrile seizures is still unclear, and it's still debated in the literature. There are schools of thoughts arguing it's related to the maximum temperature of the fever, or it's the speed at which the temperature increases. Either way, it's been shown that they are most commonly associated with a viral infection and occur in the setting of an acute fever. They almost always self-terminate, which means they stop on their own. But if a febrile seizure persists beyond five minutes, it should be managed the same as any other seizure. Experiencing a febrile seizure does not mean that someone will go on to develop a seizure disorder later in their life. The incidence of epilepsy is almost exactly the same as it is in those that don't have a febrile seizure. It is very important to reassure parents on scene, as this can be a very stressful thing to witness. It is very, very unlikely there will be any ongoing consequences from this event. Evaluation by a senior clinician is still recommended for children that experience febrile seizures to ensure there's no other more ominous cause like meningitis, encephalitis, or some sort of electrolyte disturbance. Following a seizure, you'll see something that's called the post-ictal period. It is a period following a seizure where the patient returns back to their normal baseline conscious state. This period typically lasts somewhere between 5 to 30 minutes. Patients will present confused, tired, and with a reduced level of alertness. Most patients will show a gradual, consistent improvement of symptoms back to their baseline. So what are the signs and symptoms that will indicate someone is having a seizure? The presentation is variable and will depend on the location of the seizure activity within the brain itself. However, the obvious ones to think of is muscle jerking. Another common one is nystagmus, so rapid eye movements. It's also quite common to see urinary incontinence. You'll sometimes see some tongue biting. And during the episode, there will often be quite a notable increased work of breathing. And seizures are typically followed by that post-ectal period. Okay, so that is the pathophys of seizures. Put that in your pocket. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head to our website, theparamedictube.com, or follow us on Spotify. Spotify.